You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. foremost it's great to be on and, and see everybody here uh phenomenal content so kirk and team um, appreciate just the time and and um, emotional investment you guys are making to provide uh, an extraordinary amount of value to dental professionals um it is a great pleasure to bring on josie uh, i met josie a year ago at a dental conference it was actually my first dental conference i'd ever been to and um she opened her arms with with joy and happiness and embraced me and said um, I'll help you in any way you possibly need. And she definitely has done that. And her coming on to Dental Intel as a now a coworker and our vice president of, of education, I've had uh, more opportunities to be close to her and see her vision that she has for dental professionals and the value she provides. So Josie, um, we're so excited to have you on today and I'll turn it over to you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jerem. And thank you guys so much for the opportunity, you know, last week I was hosting three or at least I wasn't actually hosting it, but I was on three webinars a day and man, we were toast at the end of the day. So I can't imagine what it is like for you guys to keep this up and going a couple of weeks from now. So we all owe you a ton of gratitude and thanks. So I'm so appreciative to have the opportunity and for what you guys are doing to serve the industry in such a necessary time. Um, so we are going to talk about how your patient is not the one, not your number one customer. And we're going to talk about what that means and why that matters. And sometimes when I say that people get a little like almost like irritation in, the, in their feeling, in their gut. And, um, we're going to talk about hopefully by the end of this, you will agree with me. Um, so at this point, I typically tell a story about some of the difficult things, the traumatic things that have happened in my life. Um, and just go through to share a little bit about myself, whether that is my oldest son being diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half and now at the age of 17 years old, still functions at about the level of like a two to a three year old or losing my dad very young. Um, but the point is to share that despite a lot of that life trauma and things that were really difficult, Nothing really broke me, so to speak, like living in a really toxic work environment. 
And I, I had been through this experience where I worked in this place and it was just awful. And it was the place that you spend 20 minutes trying to write an email because you're so worried what people are going to try to figure out in those three sentences, or you're questioning yourself, or you're trying to form alliances with people. It was literally felt like the Hunger Games. It was awful. And so having been through that, and then also having been on the other side of it, where I've worked in really, really great environments, um, whether that's dental intelligence or previous to dental intelligence, I actually was on the executive team for a group practice in North Carolina called Carolina's Dentist and sat in nearly almost every role on the executive team and over the last year was the chief operating officer before I exited and joined the dental intel team. And so I know how important work is and I know how important it is to have a healthy work environment. So I feel compelled, called, driven, whatever you want to say, to help create healthier work environments for people so that they can go to work and be them their best selves. But what I also know from experiencing all of that trauma and all of that difficulty and everything right now is that it is so important right now to recognize what it is that we're experiencing and what it is that we are going through. Um, this is called the Kubler-Ross change curve. And you might notice that some of these things are like the stages of grief, right? There's shock, denial, frustration, depression. Then we start to experiment and then we make a decision and we get to integration. So this is really, really important because we're all going through this right now. And um, I bet that sociologists are just having a heyday with this like large social experiment in watching our world figure out what to do with ourselves. So we are all going to go through this. And I don't know about you, but there are days where I feel great. And then there are days where I struggle and emotion kind of hits me from out of nowhere. And I might feel depressed or upset or whatever the case might be. And I have to recognize that it's all part of this natural process, that there is nothing wrong with feeling that way. And I think that the, the most important thing is also to know that we have to let this work within us. And so, you know, it's funny, I saw somewhere that like alcohol, um, people purchasing alcohol and consuming alcohol is going way up right now, right? And which is totally understandable. Some people like alcohol. I probably numb my feelings with sugar, right? But the point is, is that we're all trying to avoid this dip down here. And we actually need to let it happen and let it work through us because as it works through us, then we're going to be able to come out on the other side. So we can't change the fact that we're going to go through this, but what we can try to influence is how deep do we go? And hopefully we're not just spinning right here down in the middle. And um, also knowing that it's going to come up again and again. So we might get to the point where we're feeling pretty good about things and then we're going to go back to work and the whole PPE stuff is going to be different or the way that we're going to have to interact with each other is different and we're going to go through this again. So I just want to point out, I want you to keep this in the back of your mind and just be aware that what you're going through is very, very normal. Now, what's also fascinating is it doesn't have to be a worldwide pandemic for us to go through this. Anytime you implement change in a team, your team will go through this. So I've heard so many people say, oh, I tried something new with my team and we tried and it just didn't work out. 
this is change management. You have to allow this to happen. And we have to make sure that through creative alignment, maximizing communication, sparking that motivation, developing the capability of our team and sharing knowledge, we can get them through on the other side of this. Now, previous to COVID, um, I don't know if you ever do a search like on Instagram for like the hashtag Fryay, right? Or TGIF, you will see millions and millions of tags. People love the weekend and they live for the weekend. And also having worked in an, work in an environment, I know how real those Sunday blues are, right? And that we just like hate Monday. So many people hate Monday. And what I am like pounding on the table trying to say is that we should look forward to Monday. Our work should be fulfilling. We should find purpose in what we do. We should do it with the people that we love. And we should look forward to Mondays. Now, I think that the blessing of COVID fascinating enough is that everybody's had some time off and maybe the little things that bothered them about their team or about their job suddenly maybe not matter anymore. And we are all looking forward to Monday when the doors open. And so how can we take that looking forward to coming back, looking forward to Monday and make sure that we don't lose that? And I keep telling people, you know what, this can be the greatest opportunity of our lives should we choose to make it so? Because as things have fallen apart, we have the opportunity to put it back together in a way that serves us better, in a way that serves our patients and our teams better. And it's not going to be easy, but history is being written every single day, and we get to be the authors of this. So I hope that we can continue to look forward to Mondays. So a little research for you. Um, if you are aware of the very... Um, the organization Gallup, right? They actually have been doing research on workforce and in team engagement or employee engagement for over 80 years. And they have done it for so long. And what they did is they created a study to basically figure out for 98% of the population in the world, how is your life going? How are you feeling? And so what they said is, if you imagine a ladder with zero at the bottom and 10 at top, with 10 being the best life possible for you, where do you currently stand on that ladder? And I might have you just write down um, and take note for where you feel where you are currently in your life. Likely some of us are feeling a little bit on those lower rungs instead of that top rung, um, depending on how we're looking at things, right? But assuming that the rung above you is a better life, right? And the lung below you maybe is a little bit worse. So then they went on to ask, what makes a great life? And what they found was things that you could probably assume, and that would be that people want law and order, right? They want to have that security. They want food and shelter. They want to have family, home ownership, and peace. They want to have a good job. Now, what's really interesting is that Recently, when they've done the work, this, this just in the last several years, what they have found is that there's been a shift. And while family, home ownership, and peace are still important, they actually are a lower priority compared to having a good job. So while everybody kind of likes to complain about millennials and post-millennials and all of the things that they do, what is fascinating is that family and home ownership is important to them, 
but more important to them is a good job. So what that translates to is if my job doesn't have any meaning, my life doesn't have any meaning. And so people are looking for purpose in work and it's up to us to provide them and help them see that purpose. And when you can do that, it's amazing what you can, um, how your team can support you. So again, that best life imaginable was a great job, a living wage and a manager. So what they found is a good job was 30 hours a week plus if that's what you wanted and a living wage. But the great job came when employees were engaged in meaningful, meaningful and fulfilling work, experiencing real individual growth and development. And I want to highlight that the difference is, are they being developed at work? Where you will see people are fine taking less money if it's an opportunity for them to grow, if it's an opportunity for them to be developed. Um, they also demonstrated that um, they broke these people into categories and they found that just 15%, 1-5% of the world's workers are engaged at work or appear to have great jobs. 70% have are, are just not engaged. And what I mean by not engaged is that maybe they clock in and they clock out and they're not necessarily super excited to be there, but they're not really that miserable. They're just kind of like in between. They just do enough to not get fired. And I mean, unfortunately, 70% of the world's population is living in that. The other 15% are actively disengaged. So what that means is they are miserable and they want to commiserate with everybody and make everything difficult for everybody else. Now, one of the things that I learned is that that 70%, sometimes they were kind of on the fence. And what we found in working with a really large team is that their choice to become the active employee or the disengaged employee often had to do with how we dealt with the 15% of people who were disengaged. Because if they got away with whatever and there was no accountability and they made everybody miserable, but it didn't matter that they didn't follow the rules, why on earth should I really put forth a lot of time and effort into this team or into this company? So making sure that you are consistent with your rules, if you say this is the way that it's gonna be, you stick with it. So why would it matter to have more engaged employees? Like why is well enough enough not, you know, why do we want to do it? Gallup says that if we increased even just to 50% of people being actively engaged in work, the world would literally change overnight. So actively engaged employees, boom your business, inspire teams, they solve problems instead of create them, they volunteer in the community, have fewer workplace accidents, have better health and well-being, and make fewer mistakes. So um, having a greater percentage of active employees is when you start to see that the team supports and loves the business and they're driving it forward rather than feeling like, like they have to be pulled along, right, or that they're miserable. So this is something that in my research, I just keep coming back to this, and it's so interesting. So he says, of all in this book, called The Manager. He says, of all the codes Gallup has been asked to crack dating back 80 years to the founder, George Gallup, the single most profound, distinct and clarifying finding ever. 70% of the variance in team engagement is determined solely by the manager. 
it's the manager that makes such a difference. So what's great is that they talk about usually as they've looked at business in the past and what needed to improve. And it used to be processes and things like Six Sigma or lean practices helped, right, with manufacturing or things like that. There was always several, um, there was always several um, levers. And what they're finding is that the manager is the single lever in this, which is just so amazing. Now, in dental offices, sorry, I'm trying to move something here. In dental offices, managers often can be somebody who's really, really great with, um, you know, they've been there for a while, they have been a great front office person, but being a great doer of tasks does not always make somebody a great manager. And there are not a, there's not a lot of training or things that are available for managers. So you have to put an emphasis on helping them lead and manage people. So a quick overview of the changing demands of the workforce. In the past, it used to be my paycheck, my satisfaction, my boss, my annual review, my weaknesses, my job. Um, great question. Are you calling the DDS a manager or literally an office manager? It depends on the roles and responsibilities in your office. For many of you, um, you act as the manager, but you also have somebody who maybe just oversees some of the front office things. So deciding what does my office manager look like? What tasks are they responsible for and who are they responsible for? So that's a great question. So the future of the workforce, they're looking for my purpose, my development, my coach, my ongoing conversations, my strengths, my life. And so this is like, if you're just doing an annual performance review, like they used to do decades ago, that is not enough. They want constant feedback and coaching, right? And so if you take anything away from today, what I really, really want to to write that people don't want to be managed. People want to be coached. And so the manager has to turn into being a coach. So the coach does not only just provide answers with every question that's asked, right? They ask good questions to facilitate learning. They're not judgmental. They're supportive. They do not dictate what must be done. They facilitate development and learning. Command and control is out and collaborate and coordinate is in. So it's much more that your, your team members, every single one of them is leading within their position. So to be a great coach, you have to be coachable yourself, right? So asking for feedback, admitting mistakes, and taking responsibility. I see so many, whether it's dentist as a manager or office manager, that they put up this armor and they think that they have to have all the answers, what they say goes, and they can't admit to their team that they are scared or worried or don't have the answers. And so right now, especially in the situation that we're in, vulnerability is the most powerful thing that you have. It's okay to say, you know what, guys, I'm not sure. I don't have the answer, but I'm confident we can figure it out together, right? And so um, for things like performance reviews, for our team, we did them at least quarterly. And it wasn't just me telling you how you're performing as a dental hygienist or, you know, a dental assistant. It was, how am I performing as your leader? How are we performing as a company? How excited are you to come to work every day? How are we helping you? 
or not helping you. So it becomes this two-way dialogue and people start to really take ownership for their environment when they feel like they are a huge part of it. So that's talking about the manager, the manager and the leader, right? And even if you don't have the title of manager, you can still be a leader. And often some of the best leaders that I've been around lead through people. But I want to transition now and I want to talk a little bit about the team as a whole. I am a huge fan of Patrick Lenny. Um, if you haven't read any of his stuff, it's really easy to read. It's written like a story. It's got really, really great information. And so his book, one of them is called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I also love um, The Four Temptations of a CEO are really, really good. So that's a great one. But what he says is great teams do not hold back with one another. They are unafraid to air their dirty laundry. They admit their mistakes, their weaknesses, and their concerns without fear of reprisal. And this is something that I think every team member, every manager, every owner wants. They just don't know how to get there. They just don't know how to make it happen. And I will tell you that as a leader who was working really, really hard on um, trying to create an environment where people would give the feedback that we absolutely needed to hear. Because I will tell you from the perspective that I've had being an executive of a group practice or being a leader is that so many times I would say, is there anything that I need to know? Like, how are you doing? Are you, know, are you getting what you need? And people would just tell me like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm fine. Um, everything is good. And then before I knew it, we might have some type like big blow up or something go wrong or somebody who I just adore is quitting. And then it would be like, what happened? Well, it was this and this and this and this. And, and it's like, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell me we could have fixed this months ago? And um, even like, no matter how hard we try, sometimes in our mind, it's ingrained in us that if we're an employee, we can't bring up difficult things to talk about because we're worried that our leader is going to get upset or feel like we're telling them what to do or we're going to get fired for it. And I will tell you the best teams, the most high functioning teams are ones that constantly work on trying to have this environment where they can be open. And it takes just consistently coming back to it. So how do you get there? Um, that would actually be a whole nother conversation that we have, but I wanna give you an overview of what Patrick Lencioni says in the five dysfunctions of the team. So he talks about it as the dysfunctions and writes it a little bit different. In my mind, this is actually just like, I, I understand it a little bit better. So just know if you look at his pyramid, it's gonna say like absence of trust. Um, but this is what I want you to strive for. So the base and the foundation of this pyramid is vulnerability-based trust. Now, it might be that I can say, um, a lot of people will say, oh, I know Kirk, I love him, he's so awesome. Like if he says he's gonna do it, I know that he's going to do it. And we think that that's trust, but that's actually not trust, that's predictability. What I mean by vulnerability-based trust is that I can take that mask off that I put on to come to work every day or I put on when I come you know, out of my room or whatever it is, and we hide our fears, we hide our failures, we hide our concerns, 
um, because we're trying to protect ourselves. And if you've ever read anything or watched her TED Talks, Brene Brown is awesome. Can you guys still hear me? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay, somebody said they lost sound. I was worried. Okay, so um, Brene Brown is awesome. She talks a lot about vulnerability, but again, this vulnerability-based trust is being able to be who I am, faults, mistakes, screw-ups, and all, and know that my team wants me for, again, like my strengths and what I contribute, and we can forgive each other for our mistakes and our failures. So it takes so much to be able to create this within a team. Um, and not only that, but once you've created it, when team members do come back and offer feedback, it is so important to create a safe environment. So even like when I would have a team member come and give me feedback, even if maybe their feedback was a little kind of off base or out in left field or whatever, um, no matter what, I was always very calm and I just would immediately respond with, thank you so much for sharing that with me, because I know that that probably took a lot of courage and you've been thinking a lot about it. So let's unpack it a little bit and figure out how we can overcome this. Right. But again, always being grateful, even when it's, you know what, you're not fair with everybody that hurts, right? It stings, but being a leader, we have to be open to those things. Once you get that vulnerability-based trust, um, then you want constructive conflict. And if you're familiar with the DISC assessment, right? Most of the dental professionals, we are kind of that one that like, we like security, right? We like for things to be stable. We like our routine. We like to know what things are going to be like when we come to work. And we always are really good about making uncomfortable situations okay for everybody else because we do that every single time somebody sits in our chair. But what we do is we can sometimes make ourselves so miserable. We need to have a conversation with someone, whether that is our husband our wife, our boss, our coworker, whatever it is, we need to have a conversation. And we're so worried about how it's going to make them feel that we bend over backwards and we lose sleep and we make ourselves so miserable before we actually will have some, some good conflict. But I will tell you that trust is not based on the absence of conflict. Trust is actually gained by working through these things together. And when I say conflict, I'm not talking about tearing anybody down or calling anybody names or screaming or yelling, anything like that. But what I am saying is, can you tell me why you want to change the process? Can you tell me why you want to do this? Because I'm not comfortable, or I think that there's a better way. Or so many times people just want to understand why are we doing this? And they need to be able to ask why. Once you have that, then you can start to build on greater commitment right? And so one of the examples that I always give is um, I would have treatment coordinators, right? And if I came to my treatment coordinator and said, hey, for your key performance indicator or your weekly success number, you know, that we're looking at, I want you to make 80 dental intel follow-up calls a week. If I just came in and I just dropped it and left, how is that person feeling, right? They're like, she doesn't know what it's like for patients to come in and for me to have to manage this and go do the financial arrangement for the doctor and do all of these things. And I wish that I could do that. And, um, and she just doesn't know. Right. And so how engaged are they in that activity? Probably not at all. Um, but if instead 
I can sit down and I can say, hey, I want to talk to you about something. I'm trying to figure out what the greatest things are that you can work on in like in your position. We're looking at each position. And what I feel like is that dental intel, in, intel calls are super important because I see that our production, you know, instead of being up and down, it's much more consistent. I can also see that, um, you know, you have been really, really successful with this. You know, talk to me about what your experience has been like with dental intel calls. And they might tell me where, where it's easy or where it's hard or I just don't have enough time, but I really love it when I can connect with the patient and get them back in, right? And so if we can go through that, they can ask questions, they can participate, and then I can say, hey, so if we both agree that these calls are important and we think that's one of the things that we want to measure, what do you think you can commit to? Oh, well, you know what? I think if I can be given an hour you know, of uninterrupted time, then I think I can do 85 calls a week or 100 calls a week or whatever it is. They might come up with something even more ambitious than I do, but only if given the opportunity to walk through that, right? So then once we have that commitment, what's amazing is accountability. And I'm not talking about accountability being from top to bottom, right? In the organizational chart. What I'm talking about is when you have this team health and people are committed to a vision and to a purpose, then it's easy for me to say, hey, um, Heather, you only did 30 dental intel calls last week, but as treatment coordinators, we're supposed to do 80. Is there anything that you need help with? Is there anything that I can do for you? Because we all know that this is what we're working towards. So when you can create an environment where there's that peer-to-peer accountability and we're comfortable with that, that is so much of a better environment because we don't feel like we're being told what to do or somebody's picking on us or whatever the case is. And then once we have that, we will achieve results. Now, you can have results without all of these other things. You can drive and drive and push and get results, absolutely, but your results will not be sustainable. So um, Patrick Lencioni, he talks about how you can have a smart team, and a smart team is having great strategy. You're probably measuring things. You're tracking things. You've got your processes. You've got your systems. But you also have to have a healthy team. And the healthy team is this. It's the relationships, the environment, the culture that you have. And the way to really create um, sustainability, sustainable results is to mix and have that healthy and that smart team. Now, what I also want to point out is that with the situation that we are in, we are likely going to see the greatest redistribution of talent that the world has ever seen. In the last several years, any dentist that I have talked to, that I have coached, that has attended any of my stuff has said, Josie, the greatest thing that I'm struggling with is finding great talent. And I will put out an ad and like people are trying to get creative about trying to like get all the Chick-fil-A people to come work for them, right? Because they have great customer service or whatever the case might be. And so we are going to see that suddenly there's an incredible amount of talent available, not just in our industry, but in other places. And so for some people, you will think that your biggest obstacle was that there wasn't talent available. And what you may find is that you just can't attract those people because maybe you don't have a healthy team or a great environment or a vision or a purpose that drives these people. So 
there will be some people who maybe have been furloughed or let go, hoping to get their job back, that may be sitting back and just like everybody else, asking themselves, what is most important to me? And where do I want to show up for work every day? And it may or may not be your office. And I hope that it is. And I hope that that works out for you. But there will be some things that will be unintended consequences of this. So having a healthy team and creating this environment and being that vulnerable leader is going to bring to you the best talent, right? Those people who really, really want to work hard. So with the healthy team, um, now let's talk about, we've talked about the manager, we've talked about the team, right? I want to talk a little bit about um, how you have to have, give team members clarity, give them clarity of expectation. And um, I have found that this is often a big struggle for people where um, dentists, like you are some of my favorite people, I love you, but we can't read your mind. And it's so hard. And so I've talked to so many dentists or leaders and they've said, oh, actually I would have, I would have our dentists come to me. Right. And they would say, Josie, I need you to let go of my dental assistant because she doesn't do this right. And she doesn't do this right. And I don't like this. And I don't like that. And you just need to let her go. And I'd say, well, Dr. So-and-so, have you had the conversation with her? Have you told her? Have you coached her? Have you gone over? Have you provided learning resources for her? Well, no. I mean, I showed her on the first day. We have to recognize that when we start a new job, we are so overwhelmed with information. We can't just drop somebody in, give them one day, and then all of a sudden they're good to go. In my experience, dental training and onboarding has simply been Here's how you learn how to use open dental. Here's how you learn to use Dentrix if you haven't done that, right? And onboarding is so much more than that. You need to have a system and a process for your onboarding. It needs to be, what is the culture in your practice? How are they going to feel like they fit in? What is the vision? What are the things that drive you? What is most important to you? Also, it's going to be um, like, painting the expectation of how you want things to operate, who can be the mentor, and you need to be checking in at the end of the first week, at 30 days, at 60 days, at 90 days. So we need to develop a better competency model in dentistry for the ramp of, of employees. Like we can't expect two weeks in, suddenly they know everything. Because even if it was like, I'm a, you know, I know like as a clinical dental hygienist, when I would start in a new office, even though I knew all of the stuff, it was like this chair doesn't like the, the things on it are different and this sterilizer and that, and it's so hard. I also kind of had an awakening to this, um, earlier this year. So, um, I was living in North Carolina, you know, was in group practice, leading group practice. I moved to Utah. I started my job at dental Intel. So I had a new position, a new company, really a new industry, right? Where it was like, now I'm in, I'm still in dentistry, but it's software. And my house was new and everything was new. And it was like, at the end of the day, I was exhausted. And I remember the first day thinking, I need to find where the bathroom is. And it was like kind of overwhelming. And so we, when we have change, our brain has to use so much energy and we can't pick up all of the little things. So we have to make sure that we have that over time. So when you're trying to figure out clarity of expectation, I love this quote. 
It's a lack of clarity that creates chaos and frustration. These emotions are poison to any living goal. And right now there is enough chaos and frustration in this world. But when you get back to it, when Monday comes and we open the doors, right? The, the, the figurative Monday, right? Um, what does your team need? They need a company vision and a purpose. They need to know that their work matters and that they are part of something greater than themselves. You need to take time and really dentist owners, I would plead with you, take what's called a clarity break. Take a blank paper, shut off your phone, shut off the computer, sit down for an hour by yourself and just start writing, get what is in your head, out of your head and onto paper. And you're going to be able to make sense of it. But ask yourself, what is the purpose of my business? What is the purpose? What am I trying to accomplish? Because people today believe that a business is more influential in what happens in our world than all sorts of almost anything else, including like some people are saying, in research, it's showing, I believe that a business is more influential than a church. Like that's crazy, but that's how people are looking at it. The second thing is your core values. And I do not, I'm not saying your core values should be, we are committed to excellence in dentistry. I'm no, your core values are what are the types of characteristics or behaviors that you are looking for in your team members that differentiate your team from anybody else, right? And when you have those and you demonstrate what that looks like, then you can lean on those core values um, and constantly bring that back. So um, really bringing those to life, which again could be a whole nother lecture, um, is something that I'm really passionate about. The third thing is having those key performance indicators or those success indicators. So, um, you know, absolutely, I am a data nerd. And I couldn't be, I couldn't work at Dental Intel if I wasn't, right? And so I want to talk a little bit about what it's like to create this, um, a data-driven culture, because that is so important. Now, before I talk about numbers, and I use the P word, profit, right? I just want to point out something, because as I have lectured to many team members, especially, right? When they hear that we want to talk about numbers or we want to start measuring things or we even bring up the word profit. I mean, I know so many dentists that like they don't even want to say the word profit in front of their team. Like that's how silly we are about these things. But I want to point out and right now I think this message probably comes across totally different than what it would have a couple weeks ago. But I love I just love this phrase, no margin, no mission. And what I mean by this is if you remember Actually, some of us are probably in this situation right now. Like as I say, I always say, remember when you were back in college, right? And you didn't have any money and it was like, you're eating ramen noodles. You're watching the bank account every single day because if your Netflix $8 a month subscription hits, you're going to go into the red and you're going to get an overdraft fee. Like we all have been in those situations. And so what it is, is like, if you're in that situation, think about what financial stress does to you. Think about like, how possible is it for me to actually serve other people or put other people first or think about doing anything when I'm under that situation, right? But like when you start to, when you have enough money to pay your bills, maybe you've got a little bit of money in the bank. I remember the first time my husband and I had a thousand dollars in savings and it was like, 
oh my gosh, the whole world opened up. I just like, you sleep better and you feel better and it was awesome. And if it was like, oh dang, I forgot that that was coming out. It was no big deal because we got a little buffer, right? I want you to think about how you felt in that situation. And I want you to imagine what it is like to be a dentist. What it is like to own a practice where um, their debt load for school being $400,000 and buying a practice and spending another $800,000 plus for a practice, having over a million dollars in debt, having 10 people who rely on you to feed their families every day and trying to figure out, I'm a clinician, I went to school to be a dentist and now I have this business and I'm not in HR and I'm not in finance and trying to manage all of this. It is overwhelming, especially right now. And I pray every single day for those dentist owners that they will get through this and hope that our country will provide the assistance that they need. But when there is no margin, no profit margin, then there can be no mission. And what I mean by that is in a dental office, when there's a profit margin, that mission could be providing better benefits for the team, creating a bonus structure, being able to pay people more. It could be um, serving your community better, being able to do free dentistry for somebody who really needs it, or having team activities or whatever the case is, you have to have that profit margin in order to serve people better. And so um, I have been fortunate enough to be around some very servant-minded leaders that also have taught me a lot about wealth and money and whatever, and understanding that the more money you make, the more impact you can have on the world. So I just want to get that out of the way and point out that we have to have this. Now, as we come back to work, as Monday happens, it's going to be our job as teams, right? We need to do as much as we can to get the little decisions and the little things and the little processes off of our owner's plate because they need to figure out how to deal with the government assistance, how to manage vendors, how to manage the payments that are backing up, how to manage like all of these things. So if we can provide incredible value for them now and help them, it's not just like we are fighting for our industry and our jobs and our businesses to survive. And so, yes, like I'm not saying over-diagnosing dentistry or over-treating dentistry. There is more dentistry in this world that needs to get done. We are actually terrible about helping people get it done. So just keep that in mind. Maybe you guys have seen this. This actually comes um, from the brain of Weston. And um, I just love this. So this is what we teach at Dental Intelligence. It's called the profit formula. And it is visits times production per visit times your collections percentage minus your overhead equals profit. Now, if you take a look at this, and again, this is another one that could be a whole hour long. Um, every single one of us have something that we contribute to this. So, um, you know what? Dental assistants, taking a look at this. One, can you help the dentist fit in a couple more visits because you help turn the room around or you help get things moving fast enough? Or I have seen where I have like really great like fiery dental assistants that can make a dentist twice as productive because they'll push them and the dentist is open to it, right? Um, production per visit. So visits are how many people, like that's like butts and seats, right? How many people am I seeing? And then there's production per visit. How much am I doing per patient? A lot of people will try to just fit in more visits and increase profitability. 
as a hygienist, I'm not a fan of like super shortening hygiene appointments because I believe that what we offer is so important with risk assessment, right? With hygiene treatment and with being a treatment advocate, those are so important. Um, but we can all do so much better with production per visit. That could be fluoride. That could be perio trace. That could be for, I mean, talking like hygienists and specifically, right? But understanding what those numbers are, are important. Collections percentage, our ladies who manage insurance or men, you know, I'm sorry that I say ladies, I don't mean to be like gender specific, um, but taking patient payments, getting like so good at our insurance claims to make sure that we're doing everything we can, right? You can absolutely look at your overhead and try to decrease cost there. Um, I'm much more of a fan of let's focus on, especially those first two, the visits and the production per visit, um, because I think that that makes a huge difference. Now, what I will say is that when we come back, we have a lot of patients that we need to kind of fit back in. And so we may have to shorten some visits so that we can get that horde of patients displaced back in. But this is great. Okay. I've got a few more minutes. I'm going to work pretty quickly here. I want to talk about metrics by position and what metrics are important. So broken appointment, cancellations and no-shows, trying to keep that at like 10% or less. Treatment acceptance at 50%. It's amazing that like our ability to close treatment when you compare it to other industries, it's just kind of crazy, guys. Call conversion is like if you're tracking your calls, how many calls come in, how many of those were actually converted to an appointment? Um, shooting for like 80% of that, right? What's a metric that is so important that a lot of people don't realize, and I caught the tail end of the last lecture and I loved it, but 73% of everything a dentist does comes from the hygiene chair. So we would always have dentists who would start to say, I didn't get enough new patients last month and my production is down. We did so much research inside our group looking at dentists that we found production actually, it goes with your recare exams, not with your new patient exams. And so the more recare exams you do and the more that you're following up with those patients, the more dentistry that you will do. I'm also a huge believer that you need to open up hygiene capacity and you need to be seeing um, more hygienists or adding hygiene as you can. Reappointment being 90%. So hygienists, do not let your patients leave without an appointment in the chair. If let's say your reappointment is 70% right now when you start looking at it, if you bump that even 10% to 80%, in five years, your practice is twice the size as what it was. So please paying attention to reappointments. Metrics are important because number one, what gets measured gets done, right? And I love to talk to teams because sometimes they're intimidated by numbers, but I want to tell you that you want to have metrics in your practice. You want to be able to measure your performance because number one, numbers cut through murky subjective communication between a manager and direct report. So rather than being like, oh, she just doesn't like me. So I got poor performance review. You can show your value to the practice. Two, numbers create accountability. Accountable people appreciate numbers, right? When we can demonstrate and see where we've been and where we're going, it creates that clarity and commitment rather than this like, just go work harder. Like what on earth do you mean work harder? Work harder at what? We can look at these things. Um, numbers create competition. Good competition, not bad competition. They produce results. 
Um, numbers create teamwork and you can solve problems faster. So I believe that every team member should have one to three metrics that they track. I would say start with, begin with the end in mind, right? Like what are your desired outcomes? What is the greatest impact that this team member can make on what's happening in the practice? Here's some examples. So for the dentist, maybe their metrics are production per hour or production per visit. In my experience, a lot of dentists prefer that production per hour versus the production per visit and treatment acceptance. For a dental hygienist, production per visit, your reappointment percentage. These are just ideas, guys. Um, for a dental assistant, maybe looking at same day additions or some people do something called a service board goal. Um, it might be we want to do X number of these things per month. Sometimes that's like people will start with that before they start really looking into analytics. It's, it, it's I'm not a huge fan of it, but some people do it. For your office manager, pre-appointment. Now, what pre-appointment is, is it's taking a look at the number of active patients you have in your database, how many of them already have a next appointment. And that says a lot about your processes, your systems, and being able to keep up with things. When I look at a practice for the first time in our dashboard, the first number that I look at that I feel like really tells me the health of the practice is pre-appointment. Now, if you're specialty and like endo and they don't come back continually, that's probably not gonna be, right? I'm looking at the profitability of the practice. Patient advocate, I don't really love the term front office staff or front desk. I love the term patient advocate and I think titles matter. So um, call conversion or broken appointment percentage. For an insurance coordinator, it might be days of sales outstanding or your AR days and your percent of claims that are under um, 30 days. And then for a treatment coordinator, treatment acceptance or patient collections. So um, when you are utilizing metrics, number one, never ever manage by guilt or fear. Also, a lot of people might start using a tool like Dental Intel, and at first they doubt it. One, because they don't like the numbers and they don't, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. But also there's an adjustment and a learning curve to making sure what you're putting in your system is what you see, because things like Dental Intel, it's gonna pull directly from your practice management system. So I always tell people like, crap in, crap out. Like it's pulling directly from your system, so there's probably something wrong with the way that we're entering it. Um, than something else. Making sure to operate from strength, right? Um, so identifying three victories and one area of opportunity, being humbly confident. Like Dennis, when you start doing this, what I've seen amazing is when you can pick a number that maybe you're not great at and say, oh my gosh, guys, look, I thought I was amazing at this. Turns out I've got some work to do. So like you lead the way by being vulnerable and recognizing that. And the biggest thing is like, just pick a number, just start and just look at it over time. Some people will get so, because we're dental professionals and we think in millimeters and like 14 shades of white, right? And so they will start to look at things and they'll be like, oh, but in Eagle Soft, it says 19.2 and in Dental Intel, it says 18. Like it's all wrong. It's all wrong. Just pick a number and watch it grow. Just Look at it and watch it grow and don't kill yourself over this. Yes, figure out if there's severe data integrity issues um, and something's not matching up. But in general, like just focus on it and watch it grow. Um, I do want to say in closing here, um, we have some really great lists. And I'm just going to say we've got some webinars. 
that you can take a look. There, we're creating some curated patient lists so that when you come back, you have access to the list that you need of patients that have been displaced and those with the greatest value. Um, remember the change curve. Remember what we are going through and try to be aware, like we don't want to sink. We can, we're all going to go through this, but let's not just spin back and forth down here at the bottom. Let's figure out how to support each other. Let let the pain work in you though and let it bring you clarity and let it bring you the ability to grow. Um, I love this quote. Um, you know, we are all facing the new normal and in the rush to return to normal, use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to. So thank you guys so much for the opportunity um, to be here with you today. And I know that we're pretty close on time. So um, if we need to, you guys can reach out to me with Q&A if you need it. But I am just so proud of this industry and so grateful to be a part of this. And I know that we can put the pieces back together in a way that, that um, benefits us all a little better. Yeah. I just love your positivity there, uh, Josie. Just fantastic, the whole lecture. There have been a lot of questions coming through. What I like is how you positioned uh, everyone on the team from different views. And I think that shows empathy and showing what this person feels, what that person feels. Um, one of the questions I did see come through when I was looking at this, and everyone's just lighting it up right now. There's great talk, great talk. So congratulations. But one of the questions that was coming in was, what if there's a person on the team that's negative, whether it's the dentist themselves or whether it's, whether it's a team member that is just not kind of working? What kind of recommendation do you have for that? Great question. You know, often um, with leaders, I think that our strengths and our weaknesses can be magnified, which can be tough. But if we have a great team that can help us, we can obviously overcome that. Um, and so there's a couple of books, um, especially as it relates to communication. Um, you know, emotional intelligence is always a go-to, but there's one radical candor and something called Fierce Conversations. Fierce Conversations is by Susan Scott. And it talks a lot about how to have these conversations. And you know, what I've done when I have to have a conversation is I always start and try to like disarm them a little bit to just say, hey, Kirk, like I want to I wanna talk to you about something. And I want you to know that um, this is tough for me. This is hard for me. We're going to have a little bit of an awkward conversation but I want you to know why I want to have it. I want to have it because I love you and I think you're awesome and I think you're great. And I don't want what I'm going to talk about to keep our relationship from like breaking. I want to talk about how we can strengthen it. So, you know what, what I've recognized, like you have a lot on your plate, you're dealing with a lot of stuff. You've been kind of short with the team and the team is really struggling. What can I do to help you? You know, like it's a matter of always coming with that, like being empathetic, recognizing where they're coming from, and also just what can I do to help or what do you need from me? And I think that that is helpful, but just kind of disarming, like I need, like I want to talk to you about this, but it's super hard. And so like, l let's just do this thing, right? Yeah, thank you to you and to all our team that's listening to you. I know a lot of team members are on now. We really appreciate the support to the dental team and uh, and appreciate what you're doing in this time of uh, stress. And thank you so much, Josie.
I really yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. Josie, that was fantastic. I think there's so many great things you said in there, but like, you can't be afraid of the numbers. You know, I think it's really important to understand that even now, you know, you'll find that the people that enjoy accountability most are often the biggest contrib- contributors. But we, we as leaders have to give them the opportunity and give them a clear line of sight to succeed. Mm-hmm. I mean, no different than I'm the worst, you know, baseball coach of all time for sixth grade boys. But we got a scoreboard out there. Do you know what I mean? I can't just give everybody a medal and say, nice try. Like they need to know where, how are we doing? Are we ahead? Are we behind? And Mm -hmm. it really, it helps them even make good decisions. Same thing for a team. Uh, And data also, like you said so well, it removes emotion. You know, when Mm -hmm. we're looking at data, it's, and Curtis has said this to me so many times, if you and I are talking, we don't have data, we're just having a conversation. It's, It's, completely anecdotal. It's how you feel and I feel, and that's potentially dangerous. And I think what you guys do is tremendous. It's changed the way we coach. Um, and I just, I, you know, I love it. So, you know, my favorite, sorry, my favorite conversations are that um, for the, you know, for so many offices that we've worked with, it is um, sometimes it's the first time a dentist has recognized the value of a team member and what they contribute to the practice. So whether that's through the follow-ups and the front office person, and they're looking at performance. And like, I, I tell, I would tell all my front office people, like I, if you're great on the phone, you can outproduce a dentist, right? You can outproduce a dentist by showing, putting what you can on the, on, you know, the schedule. And we're going to recognize that. So for some of them, it's the first time the dentist has been like, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize like how much you were doing. Thank you so much. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely something that's beneficial for everybody. I'd love to piggyback on the numbers comment. Yeah. I, I don't I don't understand the the psychology of it, but I can tell you that when we first started working with ACT Dental, however many years ago that was, they had us looking at numbers. I thought I knew my numbers and I knew a lot of my numbers. They had us looking at them in a different way and we were we were held accountable by having to send the the numbers to our practice coach and and like an idiot, as soon as our sort of first year was over. I thought, well, we've done our homework. We don't have to send the numbers anymore. And of course, everything skyrocketed while we were doing that. Yep. And when I did, when I wasn't held accountable to send the numbers, we sort of stopped doing it, and things flattened out. And I was like, you moron! It wasn't about sending them in. I don't even know if you guys looked at them. It was about us looking at the numbers. Yes. yes. The fact of looking at them mm-hmm. got better. So of course, yeah. while you were talking, I was pulling out my Dental Intel app on my phone, just mm-hmm. seeing kind of where we were. Apparently, being closed for like several weeks throws everything off. So I had to go back and look at old old time. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, well, Joe- make sure you, make sure you take advantage. Um, we also have integrated local med in there, so now you can schedule patients directly from the DI portal using local med. So we've got some webinars showing people how to do that a couple times a day. So if you just go to our website. Now, Joe, there's 1,600 people watching. If they don't know what Dental Intel is, can you tell them what it is? And then are you guys still allowing people to try it before they buy it type of mm-hmm. a thing? Like- yeah, absolutely. So we are, a, um, we're known mostly for our data analytics, right? So it's really tough to get numbers out of your practice management system in a way that makes it actionable and easy to see. So, um, you know, one, we pull that. So you're going to see numbers in your practice that you just can't see anywhere else. But aside from the metrics and the data, there's also tons of applications in there. So like 
Our morning huddle will walk you through a really great huddle, make it super easy, including it has this new feature where you can look at your schedule for the day based on the operatory. If there's an empty spot, you can click on that and it's going to give you a list of recommended patients based on the data and the algorithms that should likely match that. So we did research and found that it took like 18 or 19 dials to get one patient on the appointment. And with this new um, information, we've got it down to, I think, eight or nine. But there's also because um, DI purchased local med, the real-time online scheduling last year, they've integrated it now so that you can, um, we have something called the patient finder. Again, this is an application in there where people can pull up curated lists. So if you wanna know, I want patients that are this and have this insurance and they need a crown and whatever, you can make custom lists. But we've also created lists that, hey, if you wanna figure out all the patients you need to reschedule or the ones that are greatest clinical value, here's the patient list. I can create something in there that sends it a task to each person and can schedule directly from there. So there's so much information in there, but we are having webinars three times a day right now where we're showing people um, a plan to help you what we're calling slingshot back after COVID. And um, they're making it so there's not an upfront investments because we're confident that utilizing these tools will help people recover. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you so much. Um, really appreciate you. That was fantastic. So I'm going to pull cool. over Iman and say this, if you don't have dental Intel, get dental Intel. <laughs> I work for them. I pay my, my bill to them. Thank you. Uh, we use it. We had used it. We stopped using it because we didn't understand how to use it. And then Mark said, you got to get back into it. Uh, about a year and a half or two years ago, we started using it. And now the team loves it. We couldn't operate without it. Mm -hmm. um, he would be able to tell you how much money it made me. I don't know. But it's, it's really um, a super helpful uh, piece of our armamentarium. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for saying that. We really are honored to be able to serve the industry at this time. And I'm really proud to be a part of the team. I actually don't think I've ever worked for a company that's more passionate about making an impact on oral health than Dental Intel. Like we talk about it more than even the like dental offices that I worked for. So um, anyway, I'm really proud to be a part of the team. But yes, thank you so much for that. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Best Practices Show. I hope you sure did enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are always here for you. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, you can leave a comment or a four or five star review. But until we see you next time, keep watching the Best Practices Show. <laughs>